From Washington, D.C., the swamp itself, this is The Week's Worst with Allen and Vadim. I'm Dr. Stephen J. Allen, Vice President and Chief Investigative Officer of the Capital Research Center. And I'm Matthew Vadim, Senior Vice President of Capital Research Center and Editor-in-Chief of BombThrowers.com. And I'm Jay Klein, media producer at the Capital Research Center, and I'll be moderating this podcast in which we dig through the news for stories that we think are the most outrageous, the most ridiculous, the worst. So this week, American-based Google engineer uh, James Damore wrote an internal memo for the company titled Google's Ideological Echo Chamber, which discussed the issues surrounding ideological homogeneity at the company and the problems with their current diversity policies regarding gender. He suggested that gender gender inequality in the tech industry was due in part to biological differences between genders. After the memo gained notoriety, a number of Google executives spoke out against the memo's content, including their VP of diversity, uh, Danielle Brown, and CEO uh, Sundar uh, Pichai, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, who said the memo advanced harmful gender stereotypes and to suggest a group of our colleagues have traits that make them less biologically suited to that work is offensive and not okay. On August 7th, Damore was fired. Damore has since filed a complaint with the National Labor Relations Board over his firing. Um, Before we get into questions, I just really want to recommend to our listeners, uh, go read this memo so you have context. I'll throw it up in the description text uh, for this podcast, whether uh, you're listening to it through a podcast client or as a video on our YouTube channel, there will be a link there. Go read it because you should see what this guy had to say. And I I think you're going to be shocked by how hyperbolic the reactions have been. So Steve Matthew, is James Damore a sexist? Was the document sexist? (laughs) Was it? Is that a serious question? <laughs> yeah, th- you know, every news story I saw called this uh, anti-diversity. Uh, called it uh, often the word used was screed. In fact, it's fun to just go on online and look for the accounts of this that use the word screed because uh, that's apparently that's apparently the word of the day. Um, and talked about him railing. I mean, look, uh, it's not super sophisticated. Uh, he sort of mischaracterizes uh, the right. Uh, uh, right-wing position or conservative position is accepting authority, that kind of thing. That's a common mistake. Uh, he seems to suggest that there's a, a truth to global warming theory. Uh, but, uh, you know, he, he makes an effort for someone who's a, who's a software engineer uh, and not some sort of uh, political commentator who can spend uh, lots of uh, effort re- researching this kind of thing over a long period and then write it. Um, he seems uh, to have examined the issue pretty closely. He says over and over again that he's in favor of diversity. Of course, diversity has become a, a dog whistle, a code word for racial discrimination. But what he means is he's for actual diversity, meaning different kinds of people uh, working there at Google. Well, uh, he's he's genuflecting to diversity with a gun at his head, basically. <laughs> well, we all know that. Because if you don't pay tribute to diversity in all of its wonderfulness, you are in trouble. 
Well, we remember a few years ago there was a Supreme Court case where uh, basically the Fortune 500 wanted to continue uh, discriminating, and uh, so they came up with this argument that you can discriminate as long as it's for diversity, and then Sandra Day O'Connor, to her uh, undying shame, uh, accepted that, wrote the majority opinion in that case, provided the um, uh, vote that decided it, and uh, and so now— Was that the affirmative action case where she said, we're we're going to be ready to get rid of it in maybe 20 years, but we're not— there yet? Well, 25 years, and we're, yeah. we're, we're, we're more than halfway there, and somehow I don't think we're any closer. In fact, I think we're farther away from getting rid of racial discrimination. Than Thank you, President be. Obama. Uh, but anyway, so uh, yeah, the guy goes through the, the, the arguments that we've heard. Uh, if, you, if you study this issue, uh, you see that there are, in fact, gender differences on the whole. That is to say, statistically, it doesn't mean any one Male is uh, different uh, in, in any, you know, is more of this or less of that than any any particular woman. Um, what it means is that as a whole, uh, people are different. They average out differently. And that means that's going to be reflected in how many people you have on uh, on basketball teams and how many people you have uh, in computer science classes and, and various other aspects of society. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, my, one of my examples is that uh, in relationships, apparently about 92.5 percent of the time, uh, the male uh, is the taller in a male-female relationship, but that doesn't mean you don't have examples like uh, when Tom Cruise uh, uh, was married to Nicole Kidman and she was taller than he was. Uh, and, uh, and generally speaking, even people were were uh, matched up uh, at random uh, based well, on so the Well, so was Katie Holmes, was also taller exactly. than Tom Cruise. You know, it would be a nine times so out of ten. So he likes them tall, apparently. Nine times out of ten, the male would be would be taller. But that doesn't mean that all men are taller than all women, uh, or that if you had, uh, you know, some job that required someone to be tall, uh, that you couldn't just use the criterion of, is this a tall person, rather than is this a male or a female? So you're going to have uh, different people show up in different uh, professions in different ways. Uh, Thomas Sowell, the uh, economist, has studied this for many years and even found out, for example, that people in the laundry business, you know, we hear about Chinese laundries, uh, particularly in big cities, uh, that people in the laundry business, you could you could track the chance of someone being in the uh, in the Chinese laundry business, you might say, to where not just that they were their ancestors came from China, but that they came from a particular part of China, even when they didn't know where their ancestors had come from. Uh, this was somehow reflected, and that's just because people tend to pass along their professions to their children. And so, if you have uh, you know differences in uh, computer science classes uh, where uh, maybe they're stuffed with males now. Uh, female uh, students don't feel as comfortable, so they don't go to them. It could be a societal construct. It could be something different in the way men and women do math. Um, we don't know. And you've got to study that uh, in order to determine why it is that Google, uh, for example, I think in their in their programmers, it's like, what is it, uh, in software engineers, it's 81% male. Uh, and Google's argument in firing this guy seems to be that it's okay to be 81% male and and then to have the presumption that that's based on discrimination. But if you talk about it and try to figure out a way to solve the problem, we're going to fire you. I, it's something I wonder about, and I, I'm d- doing my best not to blame the victim, James Damore, the uh, uh, Googler, as they're called. And he... Um, Silicon Valley culturally is very left wing. And I have to wonder what possessed him to think 
that he needed to share his views with the rest of the company, that he could somehow um, stem the tide of political correctness and the cultural drift, uh, you know, ever farther leftward by writing this memo. Um, you know, that strikes me as, you know, <laughs> in that environment as vaguely suicidal. So I, I have to wonder why he thought he needed to do this. Uh, I guess he, it really seemed like a good idea at the time. That said, what's in the memo is, as far as I can tell, uh, not disagreeable stuff. It's uh, basic social science. He's talking about sex differences, and I'm pointedly not using the word gender differences because gender is a false construct. It was created a few decades ago uh, as an idea. But he's talking that uh, he's talking about, and I think maybe you had a specific question in mind regarding this, Jake. Yeah. Yeah. But, why don't you lead us into this right, now that uh, you know where I'm going? Well, first, let's talk about a couple of things that we just said there, because uh, let's clarify for our listeners what you mean when you say uh, gender is a created construct because some people are going to balk at that and say what do you mean there's not a difference between when men and women that sounds something like a leftist would say and and so i just want to explain that what uh in a lot of social science they define gender as now is one's uh self-perception of their uh, sex traits and characteristics right. rather yeah. than a, a their, role. Yeah. So their, their gender role rather than their um, sex chromosomes or, um, or well, uh, bi biological, uh, uh, visually, bi visually phenotypic characteristics. Okay, that's an awesome word, yeah. phenotypic. <laughs> I'm going to have to look that one up. Are you XY or are you XX? Mm, uh, how about triple X? Yeah, well, well, that's serial killers, isn't it? Uh, no, I think that's uh, that's uh, an extra Y. Hermaphrodites? But that turned out, oh, to, be, right. turned okay. out to be mostly. Sorry, but, I'm getting the X and Y yeah. axis confused. But, but this is a problem that we're, we're having right now where we're seeing a lot of conflict between certain social sciences that are closer to humanities along with the humanities versus uh, harder sciences, where the humanities and those social scientists are taking a uh, social constructionist view of gender, that it's something that's created primarily by the way society treats people that are of uh, different sexes versus, you know, there are actual genetic differences that right. lead to um, certain outcomes, which would be more the claim of the hard scientists. And now, of course, it's more nuanced than that. And of course, the reality is, is someplace in the middle, but the humanities have taken a harder social constructionist stance that goes away from uh, the fact, the idea that there could be really much of any biological impact well, in gender differences. I but, just wanted to say it largely goes back to the radical gender feminists. Yes, a few decades ago, and it was their contention um, that there was essentially no difference between the sexes and that the differences as you've alluded to are created by society right um but 
there are sex differences and men and women are fundamentally different in various ways and in other ways where it's not completely fixed um, they have tendencies in certain directions we know that um, the typical little boy if given a choice between um, using a model dump truck a dump truck in a sandbox and playing with dolls is gonna go for the truck for the dump truck and the sandbox whereas the little girls will gravitate towards the dolls that's just a fact that doesn't mean it happens a hundred percent of the time but it, it it's a fact and uh, there simply is no getting away uh, getting around the fact that women are inherently more nurturing than uh, than males are that even little girls want um, to have little the dolls that they prefer are babies so they can take care of the baby they're basically practicing being mothers when they're like four years old and it's very satisfying for them they enjoy it whereas a little boy is probably not going to pick up uh, a little uh, a, a doll uh, in the form of a baby and sit there and bottle feel it and feed it and you know wrap it in swaddling clothes and and you know take it have a, a pretend tea party with it look this, so, this is this is what happens when you you take a good point and you just drive it and drive it until uh, you are driving right past rationality. And that is, if you go back, you know, look at the old uh, the, the, the TV show uh, Mad Men, you know, about the advertising business uh, starting around 1960. And then the show goes forward several years. And uh, and it chronicles how women were treated in the workplace. And, and I'm told that it's a fairly accurate portrayal. I was around them, but I was a child, so I, I wasn't quite aware of how women were being treated. But I remember the advertising, and I remember the sexism uh, that you saw in society. You used to have one ads that said, uh, help wanted male and help wanted female. Uh, you used to have a lot of professions that women weren't supposed to be in. I mean, the last episode of the original Star Trek, they actually had uh, put forth the idea that, well, you know, uh, we're not sure that a woman could be the cap captain of a starship and so you know that's the that's the area we're coming from but if as you drive away from that and you try to get rid of the societal barriers that prevented women from entering different professions and being successful in different professions uh different businesses uh, different ways of life um you get to a point though where wait a minute uh, women are different in certain ways. That is to say, uh, a woman is less likely to take a job, stay at that job, work 60 hours a week, uh, and do it for years simply because a woman is more likely to take off to have children. And it's physically something that only a woman can do in terms of giving birth. Uh, and that's going to affect uh, the number of women in, in different parts of the business world. It's going to affect um, uh, their pay. It's going to affect uh, their position in society. And that's something that is, in fact, part of the physical world that we have to deal with and not based on some sort of societal construct. Okay, so we're going to delve into that uh, a lot more. But first, I just want to clarify, because I think a lot of the problems that I've seen where the left and the right aren't really meshing and being able to d discuss this at all is it's important how we use our language and that we're using words like typically, average, is more likely to. We're not talking about 
every single woman and every single man. And this is something that Damore uh, was very explicit about in his memo is when he's uh, when he's talking about the fact that there are differences in average expression between genders. He shows bell curves. And he shows that they overlap between men and women. There, you know, there's a lot of overlap. You can't necessarily talk about any specific uh, woman uh, having any of these traits, uh, not or not having any traits that men have uh, psychologically, and vice versa. But that, on average, a woman is more likely to have certain traits that relate to. Um, openness and compassion and less stress tolerance and things like that. Yeah, he actually and, says in there, he says right. that uh, one of the pres prescriptions that he comes up with for increasing diversity, which again shoots down the idea that he was being against diversity, uh, is that you increase the amount of cooperation in, um, uh, for example, in, in, in programming, uh, where you have more team, more pairs uh, working on these things uh, and teams, and uh, because uh, women are deemed, on average, to be more successful at uh, uh, tasks that involve cooperation, whereas men tend to be more successful at tasks that involve going off by yourself. And as long as the culture of, uh, of Google, at least in the IT uh, engineering department, uh, is based on uh, people going off by themselves and working, that's going to tend to favor men over women. But if you change the culture, uh, then you would be able to bring in more women. That's what he says. That seems like a reasonable thing. But of course, uh, in this context, he's uh, denounced as someone who, uh, you know, hates women and thinks they're yeah. biological. And, and Damore was very specific about saying, uh, if somebody in describing this issue were to uh, say that every man and every woman has the traits that the average man and woman are more likely to have, that would be bad. That would be a bad right. way to analyze the situation. And he's against that. And, and, one, and one thing, by the way, people need to understand, and this is a, uh, this is a concept people uh, often uh, lose track of. Um, there have been studies that men and women do about the same at math uh, on average. Um, but as in many areas, and we don't know why, uh, there could be biological reasons for this. Uh, men to be, tend to be at the extremes. Uh, they tend to, in, in many, uh, by many measures, uh, intel general intelligence, ability at math, and so on, um, there tend to be more men at the bottom and more men at the top. So the average is the same, but when you're looking for the top 2% or the top 1% or the top 100th of 1% of people in a given field, you then tend to get uh, men, uh, perhaps because of this principle. And again, I'm just putting this out there. I don't know whether that's a societal construct where women are sort of pushed toward this, the average uh, more than men by society or whether that's something biological. I don't know, but it does uh, perhaps uh, offer some explanation for why, you know, only, what, 2% of uh, chess grandmasters are women. Uh, you've never had a woman ranked more than, I think, eighth uh, in, the, uh, in the chess field. And despite what the impression you might get from watching the food, channel, there are very few extremely successful executive chefs 
who are female. Yeah, and, and so you think of football where, uh, you know, there's no woman has ever gotten close to qualifying for the NFL, and that's actually gotten worse over the years. George Wills has written a lot about uh, how the NFL uh, players have gotten bigger and bigger, and the, the qual- qualification that would get you on a, on a team has gotten higher and higher, and it's just beyond uh, what is physically possible for someone uh, with, uh, you know, an XX uh, <laughs> in, in their chromosomes. So, so uh, you know, that's uh, an area, that's something we need to consider, that there may be something uh, that causes women to be more toward the average uh, and not necessarily any uh, less than men, but on average, uh, they're the same, but then you don't, you have more men who are at the bottom and more women who are at the, and more men who are at the very top. Uh, and then that, uh, when you're looking for uh, someone who's at, at the very, 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 very top of something like math, you're going to tend to get more men. Again, I'm not offering an explanation for that, but that is something that needs to be considered. You know, look, this, the, the, the guy tried to bring together, uh, you know, as a, as a layman, um, the arguments that, uh, that the that things that should be discussed. I remember when Eric Holder who was the attorney general said we need to have an honest conversation on race. Nobody wants to, you know nobody's got the that's courage all, to have an honest that's conversation all on race. That's we talk about in our culture it seems. <laughs> well, except that we don't have an honest conversation on it because uh, then when somebody tries to a uh, Charles Murray tries to um, uh, bring forth some some ideas that need to be discussed, some things that need to be explained, uh, and that can be explained perhaps uh, in a way that's uh, that you know is is what the progressives or liberals uh, want it to be. Perhaps perhaps they're going to turn out to be right, but we got to have the discussion to find that out. And instead, what you have is the discussion gets shut down, and that's what's happened here uh, at Google. You know, uh, uh, I this is a company that um, is very much uh, on the left. Uh, it's enforced. Uh, there are people who, uh, if you if you look around, you can see anonymous statements from people who work at Google, how they're afraid to express their political opinions if they're not on the left. Uh, and obviously, Eric Schmidt, who's the um, what executive chairman, I think, uh, was close to uh, Obama. Uh, and, and it was part of uh, Hillary Clinton's campaign team. Oh, absolutely. It was basically the person and, responsible and, and he, for the whole IT right, setup and for the Clinton heads campaign up team. Or used to head up Google's philanthropic arm right and they uh, giving to uh, generally speaking to to, to left-wing organizations uh, but there i remember on election night he was there at hillary's uh, big victory party uh, with a staff badge on uh, indicating and, and he was i mean he um they uh, they they set up an organization to run the it uh, and google uh, you know they're involved in lawsuits uh, they were filing this ridiculous case to say that uh, the civil rights law that protects uh, people from being discriminated against based on sex that somehow that applies to sexual orientation as if gay men were a different sex from gay uh, from uh, straight men or gay women from straight women um, ridiculous and yet that's you know they were taking that position uh, and one thing after another and, and of course there's the interplay of, of big business with politics uh, in that this bought Google um, uh, some nice treatment uh, when the FTC was looking at Google for antitrust violations and if there's any company you should look at for antitrust. I, I tend to be very skeptical about antitrust laws, but if you're going to accept that they're valid, then you would certainly look at Google in terms of its monopolistic practices. And uh, and they got a pass from the Obama administration. They didn't from Europe, which is a I believe 2.7 billion dollar fine, uh, and that's what the kind of treatment they could have had in the United States. But boy, they made sure that they were well 
uh, connected with the Obama administration. I, uh, Google people— Well, uh, Google throws fabulous parties here in Washington, D.C. If you've ever been invited to one, they really lay it on thick. They're very, very um, uh, luxurious and— uh, uh, expensive and uh, enjoyable, bringing chefs in and so on. Google uh, has a good handle on its uh, on its lobbying effort in Washington, D.C. I believe Google people met with the Obama White House people an average of once every six days, uh, according to, to the report right. that I saw. So, uh, you know, and, and so when you mix politics— uh, with uh, with with your uh, with your goal as a company, which is to make money, uh, and uh, and and I guess you know on the side there make 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 the planet a better place. Uh, you're you're uh, you're going to get into a mess like this because they have to maintain a certain level of po- political correctness of going along with the prevailing uh, way of thought in the in the American elites, and um, and then you get into trouble because here you have a situation where um, what is it seventy one percent of their employees are male. It's eighty-one uh, percent, I think, in the uh, in the in the programming department, and um, and and so if it's true that that can only be explained by discrimination, then I guess they're practicing discrimination. And uh, in fact, the Justice Department uh, has been going after them, saying that they had practiced extreme discrimination against women in their pay. Let's head back in the direction of some of the scientific questions, though, because there's a weird phenomenon going on here right now, where uh, this document that Damore wrote was uh, pretty well cited for a a non-scientist, and he linked to the sources for a lot of his claims, uh, and yet people are calling this memo unscientific, (laughs) um, uh, which which seems uh, crazy given that that's the case. So professor of psychology David P. Schmidt wrote a column in Psychology Today, defending many of the facts shared in the memo, uh, though he also added more nuanced criticisms and saying affirmative actions could still be beneficial at Google. Uh, Evolutionary psychologist Jeffrey Miller told the BBC that Damore got most of the science right. Uh, PhD in sexual neuroscience Deborah So wrote, no, the Google manifesto isn't sexist or anti-diversity, it's science. Uh, why, despite many scientists defending Damore, do you think many continue to claim the memo is scientifically unfounded? Do you think any of the report? How many, what percentage of the reporters who reported on this do you think actually even saw the memo? I mean, typically they they don't read it at all. They read somebody else's report, which is based on somebody else's report, which is based on somebody else's report. We saw that this week with the uh, the New York Times front page story about that 13 scientists on global warming. Turned out to be a total fake story, and every news media outlet that I saw cited it and, and, and made it a big point because they don't check this stuff out. Forget journalists, though. Even people inside Google are calling it uh, scientifically unfounded. People that have read the memo are calling it scientifically unfounded. So I, we have I, a I, much I bigger problem yeah. here than people just not reading it. I think they have been culturally indoctrinated with radical egalitarianism, with multiculturalism and diversity uh, as an ideology. And I just want to, there's a point I want to make that a lot of people don't make. And that is, nowadays, we treat diversity as if it were a freestanding virtue. But it is not a virtue. It is a state of being, a condition, a fact. Like, there'll be diversity of 
species, I know species is an imprecise term, as Dr. Allen is no doubt thinking right now as he glares at me, <laughs> um, but that diversity is, is, a, is, um, is a state of being. It isn't something that it isn't a good, all right? And it isn't evil either. It's just something that exists. And yet people have turned it into an ideology that things must be diverse. And then somewhere along the way, things got all topsy-turvy and uh, the left grabbed hold of it. And now diversity means no diversity at all, no diversity of thought, that everyone must be on the same page in terms of how they view our culture and society and uh, the human condition. Well, well, I, I would put a different spin from, from what you said. I think there are certain circumstances where diversity, real diversity, would be a good thing. Uh, I think it's good to have it uh, in government agencies uh, so people get different points of view. And if uh, you know there's a regulation that's going to put all the farmers out of business, it's nice if you have somebody there who grew up on a farm who could raise his or her hand and say, hey, have you thought about this, that this is going to put all the farmers out of business? Um, and uh, if you're talking about uh, uh, the adver advertising business I mentioned earlier, uh, it was good when they got people of different backgrounds. You started having uh, advertising that reflected uh, more of America and appealed well, but, to more of but America. But situationally, it can be fine to take that approach, but to have it as your guiding principle in life is very dangerous, that everything must be diverse, that everything must be somehow brought down to a certain level. It is part of this radical egalitarian strain of thought that got uh, amplified and blown up during the 1960s. Well, I, you know, if, if I were going to have a brain operation, I wouldn't, I would want the best uh, uh, neurosurgeon. I wouldn't care if all the neurosurgeons were, uh, uh, you know, four foot tall Croatians. It wouldn't matter to me. And in fact, you're more likely in most uh, businesses and professions to get people who are, um, you know, wildly disproportionately this or that. That's the way these things settle out. People tend to be brought in by, uh, by the folks that they know and the people in their culture. Uh, and so I remember uh, there was one, there, I, I know certain government agencies where you'll have a big office and it'll be 20 people and, and uh, 18 of them went to the same college. And the reason is at some point in the past, somebody got a job there and then started recruiting his friends and told them about the jobs that were available. And then over the years, it ended up with that one small group, one small college, say, uh, dominating a, a, an office in the government. That kind of thing happens and it happens all the time in our life. Uh, you know, you have this weird situation at Google, where 56%, they say, of their employees are white. They put them in that white category. Uh, as you know, I object to these racial categories, but you have to use them for purposes of discussion. 56%. Well, the population in the United States is between, depending on how you measure it, between 72 and 82% white. And uh, and I saw these things about how uh, the, the staff is, n is not diverse racially, but it's, uh, and they kept hitting on the, how many white people there were there. 56% compared to, now I understand Google, I guess, As if they were the ashamed of that statistic. Yeah. And yeah. by the way, they're 2% black. So how come, you know, nobody's talking about that? Well, 
Google gets away with stuff because it's a left-wing company, uh, and just as Hollywood. And the same thing is true of Facebook. It's it's true of all the different uh, um, uh, Silicon Valley operations, and it's true of Hollywood. Um, they one of the reasons they're left-wing is because then they get a pass. Uh, and we mentioned this, you know, way back on BP uh, when they had the oil spill and they'd had 150 safety violations, but they got away with it because they were a big contributor to left-wing causes. And so that's what that's an ongoing game that they play. But with regard to the other aspect of diversity, you know, I'm, I'm interested uh, in some things that uh, that I see as diversity. Uh, I happen to come from a, a background where a lot of people were Baptists. People in my family were Baptists. Uh, that's about 10% of the population. I wonder how many of the people that work at Google are uh, Baptist or come from a background where their, their families were Baptist. Uh, so the Southerners is 38% of the American population. People from Appalachia, Appalachia, that's about 8% of the population. Uh, how many of those are, are represented at Google? Uh, people who voted for Donald Trump or one of the other right-of-center candidates, uh, that was slightly more than half the electorate. Um, how many of the people at Google do you think uh, voted for Trump or one of the other right-of-center candidates? I want to know these things because that's part of diversity too. And when they only use diversity to mean the things that the left considers important, then they're they're giving themselves away because then we're not talking about diversity. We're talking about uh, basically quotas. Well, let, well, let's try and get in their heads a little bit because uh, I, I think there are reasons why they see diversity this way. Not that I disagree with anything that was said. But, uh, you know, if, if you're thinking that there are institutional obstacles to uh, women being able to go into engineering uh, anywhere or at Google in this case, then you're going to want to correct those obstacles. And there's a concept that Ayn Rand called whim worship, which is the idea of wanting something to be true and thus acting like it's true rather than it following from the data or your actual observations of reality. Harry Benzwanger so called me a whim worshiper once at a lecture <laughs> when I asked him a, a critical question. Anyway, and he's a big objectivist. Yes, he is. Professor. Um, and I don't think I am a whim worshiper. I just wanted to put that historical footnote in there. Fair and and I should mention yeah, that but, the groups that I mentioned are all traditionally discriminated against right. if by if you measure discrimination based on people's uh, uh, people being at the high levels of American society, for example, there have only been three Baptists ever appointed to the U.S. Supreme right. Court, uh, only, which is compares to two African Americans. Right. So you can see, uh, you know, that they are. Uh, I, I specifically picked those categories because those are ones uh, that uh, have been left out and yet are not part of the diversity concern of people on the left. Right, but so one. Uh, version of whim worshiping is a common uh, psychological fallacy um, called confirmation bias, right? And so if you have in your head, perhaps because it's accurate, but also perhaps because it's inaccurate, it's, it's irrelevant that women are discriminated against in this field, again, very possibly accurate, but not relevant at the moment. Um, and you see things that are not promoting the agenda of fixing that or instead advocating, well, let's just look at this maybe in a different way. Um, 
you're going to wish that that stuff was incorrect because it makes making your case harder. And I think that's a lot of what's going on here when people want to say this stuff is scientifically inaccurate. They just have it in their head that they don't want to believe it's scientifically accurate rather than actually really going in and engaging with the science and after being fair, coming to the conclusion that, no, we think um, that social attitudes are more of the, the primary cause of this problem than uh, biological factors. Um, and, and so there's a great example we have here where the Washington Post wrote an article about uh, YouTube CEO Susan, again, I hope this, I, I pronounced this correctly, Wojcicki. I don't know. I, yeah, I, I apologize. That, I, I think apologize that's an unpronounceable her. name. I apologize to her. I love YouTube, um, but uh, YouTube is a, a part of Google, which is why we bring her up. So in her reaction to the memo, uh, reportedly her daughter asked her, is it true that there are biological reasons why there are fewer women in tech and leadership? Uh, the article then goes on to describe Wojcicki's uh, experiences with negative stereotypes, with her asking the question, what if we replace the word women in the memo with another group, such as black, Hispanic, or LGBTQ employees? Um, would some people still be discussing the merit of the memo's arguments, or would there be a universal call for swift action against its author. Um, Wojcicki uh, ends her story by saying, I looked at my daughter and answered simply, no, it's not true. And I think this is really very interesting because, you know, certainly if the article was about another group that wasn't women, if it was about black, Hispanic or LGBTQ, it would be ridiculous because there's no science behind that. But there is science behind it in, in the case of women. And you shouldn't, it's ridiculous to um, then tell your daughter it's, it's not true. She, you shouldn't be encouraged your daughter. If you're interested in tech, if you're interested in a STEM field, by all means go into it. But it, 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 that's, there's nothing wrong with saying that women are less likely to be interested in going into those things. You I know, think, if you're I interested, you are by right. all means, go into it. What? But, but, you know, why are we encouraging the idea for people to go into things that they might be less interested in? Why would we ever want that for people? Right. So it, this is just an avoidance. We, of why can't we just let people make their own choices exactly. and gravitate towards exactly. what interests them and yeah. what they're best at? And, yeah. the, and, and the facts of reality help guide us in terms of how we should lead our lives best. You know, you should be in concert with how you feel about fields, not somebody telling you, no, you should like this field. A equals A, right? Yes. <laughs> well, that's, a, a, but, that's, but that's an Aristotle quote that Ayn Rand likes. But it's use. beyond that. It's beyond that because people... I think people they are... teach that at the Ayn Rand um, uh, Daycare for Tots. That was on a Simpsons episode. <laughs> yes, yeah. Go Google that. It's very funny. It's a great, the great Steve yeah. Bicko had a uh, comic book you character, Mr. A, based on You must discover the bottle within. But, but, but look, uh, pardon, but, but, but there's a deeper 
uh, uh, response to 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 what you were that anecdote that you had there. Um, you know, if I did a study in 1970 and I said that the reason that um, let's say African Americans were not uh, as prevalent in um, the legal profession or not as prevalent in medicine or in the tech field, which did exist then, um, and and that I said it was because they so many of them lived in uh, the South and had gone to segregated schools, which were um, very poor schools, poorly funded, and, and and that they had been mistreated that way. And that was the reason. I wouldn't be attacking African-Americans. I would be providing an explanation, and then I would try to come up with solutions to uh, that problem and try to how, to, how do we make up for this? How do we how do we overcome this? Uh, if you were studying uh, Hispanics and, and people had a language barrier that caused them not to be successful in certain fields. Uh, how do you deal with that? Uh, one of the funny parts about listing LGBTQ um, or uh, whatever uh, styling was in that, that article you just mentioned um, is that the left has spent decades trying to sh- prove a biological basis for different sexual orientations. Uh, and there's no evidence for that. And uh, they claim that there is, but even the, you know, the studies that, that I, they cite, the authors say, that's not what I meant. I'm not convinced there's no evidence for that. I've seen plenty of evidence. No, for there's that. no evidence for that. But the, uh, I'm saying that. Uh, I, so I, you're I, arguing I, that sexually sexual orientation is entirely just a random choice of the person? Oh, absolutely not. I think it's uh, formed early in childhood, uh, just like all our, I mean, and, Sexual orientation is more than just whether somebody is gay or well, straight well, or bisexual. We have all sorts of evidence but, about uh, uh, prenatal hormones affecting. None that. of those have panned out, and when you do when you do twin studies, what you find is that it's uh, it's the evidence is more uh, for environment playing a role than uh, for any sort of g- genetic uh, basis for for the sexual orientation. I don't think we're going to solve the question <laughs> of nature versus nurture on this and, and that, but that's humble my, podcast. That's my point. Nature it's, versus nurture. Nurture is important, very important to this topic, though. And, and that's part of what's uh, brought up, because Damore is arguing this is biological, and his critics are arguing, no, it's entirely social, and that's why we need to fix it. Well, he's but, saying uh, the disparity, the reason you have this disparity uh, is in part biological, but now biological can be something that everybody acknowledges, such as that women take off time to give birth, men don't. So that's going to affect the course of your career. Uh, and then the question is, well, how much of that uh, is how much of that is fair? Uh, if you uh, you know, Google, I think has what five months of uh, of of paid now paid uh, leave when you when you uh, have a child and generally speaking it's the women who take advantage of that but does that leave them out of the developments in a very fast changing uh, uh, profession uh, does that cause them to fall behind in their careers in a way that's uh, that's fair or unfair I mean how do you measure how do you measure that is it fair if if someone st- if let's say there's a woman who decides not to have children and that woman is able to advance in her career because she never has the pressures of having to be home at a certain time. Uh, she doesn't have the sick kid, sick kid that she has to take care of. Uh, she doesn't have to take the time off to give birth. So that woman uh, is able to advance in her career. Is that unfair? Because if that's not unfair, then why is it unfair uh, when men are in that situation? I, I Look, I get it that there's incredible sexism in Silicon Valley uh, and uh, the programmers, they call them. And that uh, the, the, and I, I believe the anecdotes. Uh, what is it? Yes, at Google, there's like a, a special uh, list uh, where people can submit all their stories of uh, sexual harassment and, and women being looked down on and all that. And it's kind of a frat boy atmosphere. 
Uh, I get that entirely. Is that the Google Geist? Uh, and, uh, I, you know, I believe it. I believe it. Uh, but, uh, you know, data is not the plural of anecdote. And so uh, when you're trying to figure out uh, what, why is there this huge difference between men and women and how much and how they end up in various positions, particularly in the tech field, um, you have to, you try to look at the data, you try to tease it out. You know, you know, the, the, the big difference between what men and women make um, that Hillary Clinton was always citing and sometimes it would be, you know, women make, uh, what, 69 cents for everything a man makes and so forth. Well, if you, if you correct for various uh, factors, uh, women not working overtime the way men do, uh, women taking a significant time out to have children and so on, you can eliminate all but maybe four to seven cents of that uh, difference on the dollar. Uh, but there's still a difference. Now, is that because and we're it, missing in something? In some occupations, women tend to make more and and, and and younger women in 100 and what was 147 out of 150 cities that were surveyed uh, women under 30 made more than than men under 30 and now you've got a situation where women are 60 percent of college students now how is that going to play out in the decades to come uh, are women going to end up making more than men in the long run uh, on the other hand you have the fact that out of the 10 lowest paying majors uh, women choose to take uh, or they are the majority in eight of those 10 lowest paying majors, whereas men are the majority in, in, in eight of the 10 highest paying majors. So, but that's a personal choice thing or, or, or is it, or women being steered away from engineering, for example, these are all things, you know, I appreciate it. I acknowledge the, the differences, um, the, the problem that exists, uh, but there are other ways to do it besides what they do at Google. One of the things that the memo complains about is they have programs that are just for a person of a certain race or just for a person of a, of a certain sex. Okay, if I could get a word in edgewise, um, Dr. Allen. Um, Is that allowed? Yes. I want to, um, the question that Jake posed, he gave a quote from YouTube CEO Susan Wo-Chicky, and... <laughs> I believe it's pronounced Smith. Wo-Chicky. I, I apologize to her if we're, we're wrong. From the, from deep at the bottom of my heart. Or or Wafsiski, who knows? It could be Pol it's it looks like a Polish name. Oh definitely. Uh, um and they have letters in their alphabet that we don't have that screw everything up for us. When the we W might be pronounced as a V. It you could know, be they pronounce Warsaw as uh Varsala. So their Where, W's yeah. are a V. So so <sighs> so Susan Wafsiski <laughs> Anyway she said, you pointed out that she said, would some people still be discussing the merit of the memo's arguments? Uh, oh, if they replaced the word woman in the menu with black, Hispanic, or LGBTQ employees, would some people still be discussing the merit of the memo's arguments, or would there be a universal call for swift action against his author, its author? Think about that false dichotomy that she's inserting there. Either... You sit there and rationally uh, debate and deliberate on the merits, uh, relative merits of the memo, or you go lynch the guy. There's a call for swift action against its author. That's that's a false choice. And embedded, even in people who don't think of themselves as radical left-wingers, a lot of them, especially people in Silicon Valley, is this totalitarian radical egalitarian mindset where if something to them seems 
unequal, then whoever is advocating the unequal thing must be um, uh, must be must be repressed, must be dealt with in some harsh fashion, as this guy James Damore was, and. And, and I hope that his uh, litigation against Google is successful because Google deserves to pay dearly for this. To well, my um, and it also gets back to yeah. something I wanted to discuss, or it doesn't get back to it because we haven't discussed it, and uh, the institutional biases, the institutional discrimination um, in these, uh, uh, these Silicon Valley companies. Um, and something I wanted to talk about, and that was in the news, and we don't have to dwell on this, was Jeffrey Lord being fired yesterday by CNN for mocking uh, Angela Car Caruson, the president of Media Mac Matters on Twitter, by defiantly typing out uh, Zig Heil. And this guy, who's not a Nazi, was being ironic he was being sarcastic and he facetious. was calling them fascists and yes was he was and he's right a lot of people and he's right they are yeah. they are physician part, part of part of media this. matters but he was fired just for uh for for a sarcastic remark because uh, Angelo Carusone was uh, was baiting him and he he was irritated and he was pissed off that um that uh, Jeffrey Lord had uh, misspelled his name in a tweet or something like that. Right, but but let's move back to um, the the topic at hand being Google and, and sex discrimination. Can, can I say this? But, I I, yeah. I I think this guy may have a case. I'm going to put on my lawyer hat here uh, because uh, in California, uh, you you can't be uh, legally fired for complaining about illegal practices. And the case that he's making in here is that these programs they have at Google that exclude people based on their sex or their race are illegal. Uh, and al the, uh, also hiring practices, allowing people to have more than one interview in order to, uh, if they're in certain groups and so on. He's complaining about illegal practices. You can't fire somebody for that. There's also the fact that he apparently filed a complaint with the National Labor Relations Board. You can't fire somebody uh, for filing this complaint. I think the company says they didn't know about it at the time, but in all of this, the burden of proof, uh, particularly under the California law part, is on Google, uh, and so this guy may may have recourse. But of course, you know, unfortunately, a lot of judges are left wingers too, and so they're going to tend to side uh, with uh, with the company in this case. All right, I think especially we in the Ninth Circuit out there in uh, crazy California, well, that would be if they got yes, the federal, and, and federal we, right. We've talked about um, not that it's yeah, as Steve just said, not that it's clear this would be tried in federal court, but um, yeah, that we've done episodes before on the Ninth Circuit, and they are the uh, most overturned uh, circuit of court by the Supreme Court. Uh, I think I think we've about about hit time to end our show, but I, I just wanted to make one point about this issue before we ended because uh, to my friends on the left. Um, They'll talk to me a lot when I'll complain about how radical the social justice movement on the left has gone. They'll say, you know, how can you act like these fringe people are such a big deal? You know, these are extremists. Obviously, the left has its extremists. The right has its extremists, too. And I, I think this story is one of the perfect examples for why 
moderates of all stripes, um, even if you're a moderate leftist, should care about this because these are how these ideas filter down. You know, this isn't some radical SJW saying, you know, uh, biological sex doesn't exist at all. This is now the more, quote, moderate view that has filtered down, which is, well, we're just going to ignore some of the science around it that um, doesn't conform to what we wish were true. And that's really, really dangerous um, because it, it le- you know, when you deny facts and you deny science, you're going to come to conclusions that are real, real dangerous. And this guy getting fired is one of them. Any I want to say words? hello, Jake Klein's friends. <laughs> you have a fine gentleman as as a friend. Well, We're all very proud of him. You don't win an argument by shutting it down, and we see that in one area after another, uh, where people, rather than talking about, and especially on science matters, uh, where they don't want to debate, they don't want to have, they, you know, the, on the on the global warming thing. One of their uh, big movies and, and books is uh, is called Merchants of Doubt, uh, because they're attacking the people who are promoting doubt. Well, you know, doubt, free discussion, free speech, these are all related concepts. And one of the great things about this country is this is a place where supposedly you can all come together and talk about these things. But I know people who are brilliant, who have, uh, you know, high IQs, whatever that, you know, whatever that measures, but over 150 IQ and would never, and and are perfectly qualified for a job at Google. Um, They they know the business, et cetera, but they would never apply because they know that they would be, uh, you know, somebody be out they're looking for their old Facebook posts to see what their political orientation was. And if the idea of this diversity is, well, every you know, we're going to get the best people because we're going to be open to everybody of all sorts of different backgrounds and so on, then what about people who disagree with you politically? I wanted to say before we end, I wanted to say something in support of um, Jake's point, and that is that in America, For a long time, the far left has been setting the agenda among the left. Indeed, the extremists, the radicals, communists, socialists, and so on, their ideas do trickle down or spread through osmosis uh, or whatever uh, expression you want to use to the rest of the left-wing movement, to the rest of the liberals and progressives and so on. The, The classic example, Milton Friedman, uh, in his book Free to Choose, took the uh, it was either the Communist Party or the Socialist Party USA's uh, platform from decades earlier, like before the New Deal, before Franklin Roosevelt in the 40s, uh, and it, it talked about all the the planks uh, in in the the party platform having a a national uh, hydroelectric. Uh, uh, generating system, you know, that became the Hoover Dam, uh, Dam, having a minimum wage and having a national minimum wage and all these other um, interventions in the marketplace that today we take for granted. We don't even find that objectionable for the most part because we're so used to them. So you, you do have a situation where the ideas on the far left get mainstreamed around, uh, among the rest of the left. And, you know, then when Democrats control Congress for 40 years, as they did up until Newt Gingrich's so-called revolution, 
Republican revolution, then these ideas seep into into the law, into the culture, and uh, they become real policies. So I don't think there's any doubt that uh, uh, that the far left um, are the influencers, and that they really do set the agenda for the rest of the left. Well, this and is- so so whenever the far left, when an idea gets uh, uh, what's that expression? Critical mass among the far left. We all have reason. We all have reason to be concerned. Well, you know that, that, that one of the, one of the things that we're talking about here uh, uh, is the idea of political correctness. Now, often people today they think it means like uh, you know you're politically correct if you don't offend people or something. That's not where it comes from. What it means is that things were correct if they were of use to the party, if they served the cause, and that that was the determination of whether something was true, not whether it actually happened or not, or whether it was true in the sense that most people use it, but rather, if it serves the cause, it's true. It's politically correct. And this and is we've why reached it's Russia, Russia, Russia all the time now among the left. The example, and I don't want to talk about Russia, but I want to just say... <laughs> I don't want you to talk about Russia either. I just want to say that the, among the left... The Russians were our friends up until a couple of years ago. Now suddenly they've flipped and they're their enemy because it's convenient to make them the enemy because they associate Russia with Trump. That's all I want to say. By the way, by the way, and I, that's I, how they change on a dime. Let me point out the that that's exactly that. what happened with Hitler when Hitler teamed up with Stalin. Hitler, I am, am invoking the Godwin rule. That when, no, no, when the actual Hitler teamed up with Stalin. Actual not, I'm not Hitler. comparing somebody to Hitler. I'm saying this is an argument. The actual Hitler teamed up with Stalin. The le- the hard left, not the regular liberals that existed in those days, but the hard left immediately became pro Hitler. Oh, the British Empire is just as bad as anything the Nazis did. We don't want to send aid the British Empire, when as long as Hitler and Stalin were teamed up, the hard left was pro-Hitler. And then when they when Hitler and Stalin double-crossed each other, they went back to being anti-Hitler on that day, just like that. And that's how these people, that's how they, the hard left, that's how you can deter- see who they are, and that's what they do. Okay, that's our show for this week. We'll be back next week, and we hope you'll join us. If you're not already, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes and Stitcher and follow us on social media at Capital Research Center on Facebook and YouTube and at Capital Research on Twitter. I'm Dr. Stephen J. Allen. And I'm Matthew Vadum. And I'm Jake Klein. Thanks for listening.